believe still that God desires to bless us. I still believe God desires to baptize in the Holy Ghost. And I'm not embarrassed to say that. Some people, it embarrasses them to talk about the Holy Spirit when they get around other church folk that don't believe in that. Well, if you don't believe in that, what are you doing here? I mean, it's pretty, pretty simple to me because we believe in the supernatural move of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And we're not going to change. You know, if you're going to change, it'll be after I'm gone. But we won't change while I'm here. I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. And I want to begin reading, if I may, in chapter, um, maybe in verse, 40, verse 39. And I want to read the rest of this chapter. Acts chapter 2, verse 39. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now all of these people who declare that the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit was given for a short time and then was taken away, you need to read that verse of Scripture. That verse of Scripture does, does not say anything about the gifts being taken away. It says the promise is unto you, talking to the people of that day, and to your children, and that goes on and on and on, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It says that the gifts of the Spirit will still be available and operational right on until the coming of the Lord. And there's nothing that will stop that. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Look at that again. They continued daily with one accord, first of all in the temple, and then breaking bread from house to house. So it was not just a church thing. But they were breaking bread from house to house. And they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now that's interesting. 
It is the, that is the beginning of the early church. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit and subsequent move of God that came about as a result of the promise being fulfilled that had been given by God. Once upon a time, there was a church that worked. It really worked. The members loved each other. They took care of one another. They looked out for one another. They fed the hungry. And they literally transformed cities. They did everything that you could expect about a church. They were, in their hearts were longing for God. They were equipping people to serve the Lord and then was releasing them into ministry. So at one time, there was a church that really, really worked. Now, I haven't found one like that recently, including this one. We have a lot of ways we need to improve. We have a lot of areas that are lacking that we need to make better. We cannot sit down and be satisfied because the Lord has blessed us with what He's blessed us. Be thankful for that. But His blessings have been given so we can move to the next level of His blessings. And that is what we need to see. I was thinking and talking to someone just this week. Whenever we started even this building project here, we borrowed one and a half million dollars. Now, that's a chunk. I mean, that's a pretty good chunk for, you know, just regular working folks. But we had faith in God and believed that God would meet the need. And now that debt is down very close to 100000 So that $1.4 million have literally been paid back plus the interest, and that's another chunk. And we give God the glory and the honor and the praise. But I want you to know this is not the church. This is where the church gathers. But this is not the church. The Bible over and over and even in history documents how powerful the early church was. This that I read to you today is the result of Peter being filled with the Holy Ghost and standing up and preaching under the anointing of God and 3,000 souls were added to the Lord on that very day. 3,000 on that one day. And I, the, the leaders, the religious leaders in Jerusalem got very upset because this new upstart bunch of believers were becoming so many in number that they began to fear for their own jobs and their own lives. So they were doing everything that they could do to stop it. I was reading Dr. Robert Heidler. A lot of his work out of the Messianic church arising and he talks about a lot of this kind of stuff of the power of the early church that even as many has had grown to as much as 50,000 people that would grow in this church and the church at Ephesus where Paul talks about and he sends his letter to the Ephesian elders 
had grown to about 50,000 people whenever he ordained Timothy to lead that church of 50,000 people. It grew to be as many as 100,000. Can you imagine one church today having the kind of impact that would change a whole city? Have you, can you think about the fact that one church could be powerful enough that in our situation a whole county could be swayed by the move of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. I tell you what, the Lord is still in the business of helping us to be able to grow the kingdom of God. Now, it's, it's not about me and it's, it's not about you. It's always been about Him. It's always been about growing the kingdom of God. All over the, church, the world today, there are groups of Christians who are praying and fasting for the Lord to move again and for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be released. That one more time we could see people get excited about serving the Lord and one more time we could have revival that would change whole communities and whole cities for the kingdom of God. I read that by the end of the first century, the early church had spread throughout the whole known world. And it was not unusual when a church was planted in a city for it to rapidly grow to 20 and 30,000 members just in a matter of a few short months. And you wonder, how in the world can you do that? How in the world could that possibly happen? Well, we've got a lot of folks today who are pastoring large churches. There's a lot of mega churches across this country today. But I'm here to tell you today that the simple answer to church growth is the supernatural move of the Holy Ghost. And there's nothing that will take the place of that no matter what happens, no matter what takes place, we still got to have the supernatural power of God. I've been seeking the Lord for a long time about what direction we need to go. I thought about for quite a while and prayed for quite a while that maybe it was time for me to retire and move aside and let someone else take it who could move it to a different level and have a different perspective on the church and building the kingdom of God. And that may come before too far up the road, or it may be a lot longer up the road. I'm going to let the Lord make that decision, and I believe He will let us know at the right time that it's time for that to happen. But I want you to know that there were two levels that the church was growing. And I, I just read that to you, and I emphasize that to you today. It not only was having a big church service, it was not only temple worship, but it was worship from house to house to house. That the main and strongest element of the early Christian church was the house church. That's where people reached out to their neighbors and their neighborhoods and begin to introduce them to their friendship 
and to open their home to them and share with them their heart and the kingdom of God. And I want to see us begin to move in that direction. I want to see us begin to make some connections to people outside our own little group that we can begin to reach out to other people and invite other folks to be a part of our fellowship and to be a part of our friendship circle and see them one to the kingdom of God and begin to exercise the gifts and callings that God has on their lives. Hallelujah. I want you to, I want you to go with me as I read some things to you. I want to read to you what a typical church service was like in the early church. This comes from different scriptures in the New Testament. Also comes from biblical historical writings about what happened. And he says, as we walk through the door, you look across the entrance into the large open courtyard of the home or out on the porch as it would be in our situation. There appears to be some kind of party going on. Some of the people are playing flutes and lyres and tambourines, while others are singing and dancing and clapping their hands. You immediately look round to make sure you came to the right house. As you listen to the words, however, you realize that this is the right place. For the words of the songs are words of praise to Jesus. These people are overflowing with joy because they've come to know the living God. What you are witnessing is the way the early church praised God. This type of worship is foreign to most people in the church today because we like to do things easy and keep it calm and quiet. But that is not the way the early church was. I could quote to you from some of the early historians, Clement of Alexandria, Ambrose of Milan, and different ones and what they wrote and things they said about the power of the early church and their worship services. Listen to this. So here we are in a large courtyard. There's a great deal of singing and dancing and rejoicing in the Lord. As the songs slow down a little, many people get down on their knees before the Lord. Most are lifting up their hands to Him. A tremendous sense of the Lord's presence fills the courtyard. During the church's praise and worship, there are spontaneous shouts of praise. Some shout amen to voice their agreement with what others have said. As we enter into the worship, we're overwhelmed by the love and by the acceptance of all the people. After much singing and dancing, food is brought out. Now we could do that. People find their seats and prepare for the meal. We're surprised to see people eating a meal in the middle of a church service. But this is described by Paul in 1 Corinthians, as well as by Jude and Peter. This shared weekly meal is called the love feast or the agape. To begin the meal, the woman of the house lights the candles, saying a special prayer of thanksgiving. Then one of the elders stands with a cup and blesses the Lord and passes it around to each one can drink from it. 
He then picks up a loaf of bread and offers thanks. It also is passed from person to person. This is the Lord's Supper in its original context. The meal is a joyful town, time centered on devotion to the Lord. As they eat, the believers talk about the things of God, share testimonies, recite and discuss scripture, and sing praises to the Lord. During the meal, one of the leaders stands and reads a letter they received that week from an apostle named Junia. Junia was not one of the original 12 apostles, but by this time there are many apostles in the church. As you hear the letter read, you're surprised to learn that Junia is a woman. In Romans 16, Paul describes a woman named Junia as outstanding among the apostles. The leaders of this house church had written to Junia several weeks earlier to seek advice. And anyway, this was her answer in letter to the church. And on and on and on it goes. The gifts begin to display and to manifest all throughout that group of people. And that's the kind of worship that you would have. People would reach out to their communities and to their friends and neighbors and invite them, come on to my house. We're having a gathering and we'd like for you to be a part of it. And the church grew because the people were in love with Jesus and full of the Holy Ghost and were wanting to share it with everyone that was around them. Hallelujah. Irenaeus, writing about A.D. 195, tells us that in his day, prophetic words, tongues, and miracles of healing were common in the church. He adds that the church frequently saw people raised from the dead through the prayers of the saints. And we see this happening over and over and over and over. For 300 years after Pentecost, that's the way people worshipped. 300 years. They would everybody come together, start singing and clapping their hands and worshiping the Lord. Some would begin to pray. The miracles would begin to happen. Somebody would give a word of knowledge over here and somebody would be healed from it. Someone else on that side would be healed instantly. No wonder the church grew like it grew. It was the presence of the power of God. I believe God is the same. I believe this book is still the same. I believe if God did it in that day, God will do it in this day. There is nothing that will stop the Lord if we will let go and let Him have His way. Well, why did the early church die? What happened that caused worship to change like it did? Well, there was a, at that particular time, there was no ruler in the Roman Empire. And Constantine and Maxentius were foes or enemies of one another. And both of them wanted to be on the throne in Rome. And they were at odds with one another. And Bible history teaches 
that Constantine, as he began to pray to his Persian sun god, and the sun god, he said, revealed to him a burning cross in the sky. And so he began to believe then that it was, it was the sun god's will for him to go against Maxentius and defeat him. And he did. He waged war against Maxentius and defeated him. And therefore Constantine took over the throne in Rome. And he automatically declared that he was a Christian. And when he began to declare that he was a Christian, instead of the church being fault and, and being despised like it had been before, suddenly they thought, man, we're on easy street. Everything is going to be good. So Constantine set his mind and his heart then to change the way church was done. Matter of fact, his worship of the sun god and his declaration to worship God on Sunday was the first day of the week. The word Sunday is never in Scripture. We worship on what we call Sunday. The Bible calls it the first day of the week. The Bible calls, calls that's the time when Jesus arose was on the first day of the week and we worship on the first day of the week but Constantine declared that the first day of the week was named Sunday because of his worship of the sun god and that's how it came to be that we would call it Sunday. And of course it still goes on today and it's part of our calendar today that the first day of the week is called Sunday. But Constantine began to spend great sums of money building these huge churches. He would build these churches. He'd go into these cities and build this big church. Then he began to declare that people no longer would be allowed to worship in house churches. They would have to worship in these large churches he actually declared a certain style of church. And I, I, I hope this is not too boring to you. It's extremely interesting to me. He built, a, he built a sample church. And he built it with what he called an apse, which was a part that was raised like this altar. And it was up here, and, and, and this is where the priest would stand. And there was a large chair that sat there so that the bishop could sit here over the people. Then there was a large room just like this one. And it was called the nave, N-A-V-E. And that's where the people or the loyal subjects of the bishop would sit. So suddenly, instead of the church being the people... The church became a building. And therefore we have gradually allowed this to continue to be until we have lost the power of the early church and the meeting the needs of individual people day by day. 
Yes. Constantine not only gave new buildings to Median, he decided to improve the way the church worshiped. Listen to him. Less than a year after his, quote, conversion, Constantine made the following decree. I am going to make plain to them what kind of worship is to be offered to God. What higher duty have I as emperor than to cause all to worship to Almighty God, true religion, and due worship? In other words, I am Constantine, the emperor. I have the authority to decide how the church is going to worship and what is actually worship and what is not worship. So therefore the little man was again pushed out the door and the rulers began to take charge and take authority over the church. You remember right on, right on, right on. It continued to be until finally when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Roman Catholic Church when they had made all of their rules, this is what you're going to have to do if you go to heaven. And Martin Luther had read in the Bible that the just shall live by faith. And he nailed those theses on the door of the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Reformation as we know it was born. So I'm here to tell you today, it is not and never has been the will of God for the church to be a quiet, solemn place where it acts like we're in a funeral. Brother, it is the will of God that we worship and praise the living God. God is alive and we're supposed to be excited about God being alive. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, I worship you today. I give you glory and I give you honor and praise. Thank you, Lord God. So I want to see us return more to our roots. And when I'm talking about our roots, I'm not talking about a denomination. I am talking about our roots that go right on back to Acts chapter 2, where the church was born under the power of the Holy Ghost, where miracles and signs and wonders were taking place every time they met together. I never find it, have found a scripture yet that says that when the Holy Ghost was given on the day of Pentecost that he went back to heaven. He came and he stayed. Glory to God. And he is still here today. Thank God. We don't have to pray for the Holy Ghost to come down. He already did. And he never went back. He's still here today. And he's still working in the lives of people who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 39 again. Why was the early church so successful? 
The early church believed the promise of the Holy Ghost. Chapter 2 and verse 39, where he said, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. They believed that the promise was for them. They took it seriously. It was God's promise. And brother, they stood on God's promise that it was his will that the spirit would be poured out on the day of Pentecost. Glory to God. Ezekiel had promised it. If you look to uh, Ezekiel chapter 39 and verse 29, Ezekiel promised, neither will I hide my face anymore from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. God said, I'm not hiding. I'm not hiding from my people anymore. But I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel. I have blessed Israel. Why would God bless that little nation like that? Hallelujah. They believed that the promise was for them. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 15. We have the scripture again until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field be counted for a harvest. He said when the Spirit of God comes down, when He is poured upon us from on high, the wilderness that you have been living in suddenly will become fruitful, and the fruitful areas will become a forest because God Almighty... It's a supernatural God and he can take the bad places of your life and turn them into fruitful areas. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Joel chapter two and verse 28. It is given to us again and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. There's never a place in that scripture for old people to be pushed out of the church. There's never a place in that scripture for young people to be pushed out of the church. And yet there are churches who have no time for one or the other. And they make their choice either to be this or either to be that. But I believe that the Lord is desiring to pour out His Spirit upon the young and the old alike. There is a place for all of us in the kingdom of God. Old men are dreaming dreams and young men are seeing visions. But it's both of them working together, you see, that makes the supernatural possible in the kingdom of God. Jesus promised the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in three out of the four Gospels. Jesus himself promised us. He said that this promise shall be unto you. He said, I give you power because all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And I give you power, hallelujah, to tread on serpents and scorpions and they shall not by any means harm you. You shall lay hands on the sick 
and they shall recover. Hallelujah. You shall speak with new tongues. This is what we're still desiring to see. More and more and more of it in the kingdom of God. This is a full gospel church. We believe in the full gospel. We believe in being saved by His marvelous grace. We believe that we're living sanctified lives because of His grace and mercy. We believe that we're baptized in the Holy Ghost and looking for the return of the Lord. We believe in divine healing that is in the atonement. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. They believe the promise. Then verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. They received the word of God gladly. I mean when the man of God spoke or when somebody spoke the word of the Lord, they didn't toss it aside as someone who didn't know what they were talking about. They received the word of God gladly. Hallelujah. Many people today don't want to hear what God has to say. But until we believe the word of God and study it for ourselves and see that it applies to us, we'll never have the full meaning of what the scripture is all about. Verse 42 says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfastly in the word of God that had been preached to them by the apostles, those who had seen the Lord, those who had worked, walked with the Lord, those who had heard him speak, they believed what the apostles were speaking and they went around breaking bread from house to house, eating communion, sharing with one another the death of the Lord and the coming of the Lord once again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And because of that, the Lord added unto them 3,000 souls. Hallelujah. The early church stayed together. Verse 44 to 47, you didn't have some of them running off in one direction and others running off in another direction. You had them together. They all believed it together. They stuck together. They didn't let themselves be scattered by every wind of doctrine that came along. They knew what they believed and in whom they believed. Look at what he said. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods. Hallelujah. And parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily. 
Not weekly. Not monthly. Daily. Daily they're reaching out to their neighbors. Daily they're inviting other people to be a part of what the Lord. You remember when you were saved? You wanted everybody to know it. You were not embarrassed about it. You were ready to tell anybody. That is, if you got the right stuff. If you got the right stuff, you weren't embarrassed about it. You wanted everybody to know it. You wanted everybody to have been praying for you to know that their prayers were not in vain and that they had been answered. And you wanted everybody to know it. That's the kind of gladness. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Folks, I want to see us break out into the kind of worship and praise that you will never feel like you're out of place because you're jumping and dancing and because you are worshiping the living God. You don't have to worry about if you're out of order. The only thing that's out of order is if you're not serving and worshiping God. All of the shouting is in order. All of the praising is in order. All of the singing is in order. If it's bringing glory to God, then it's got to be good. There's not the two kinds. We're either worshiping God or we're worshiping the devil, one or the other. And if you're bringing glory to God, it's in order. I want us to throw off all of those chains that have been holding us back ever since Constantine decided that he could tell us how to worship. Ever since Constantine made the basilicas and made it so that the people would be out there and that the bishop would sit up above everybody else, ever since then, the church became more and more solemn and quieter and deader. Well, it's time for us to come alive. Stand with me, please. Stand on your feet. It's time for us to be alive. It's time for us to realize Constantine has been dead a long time. But the God that we serve is alive. He's still alive. He's still alive. Hallelujah. It hasn't changed. And it's not going to change. Father, in the name.